Hi, everyone. It's Sean Dubervac from Avrio Institute. And I'm Ross Rubin at Reticle Research. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Techspansive. We're going to dive in this week in what looks like a week of re reconciliation. You've got Amazon and Google making up on a number of fronts, and you've got Qualcomm and Apple making up on a number of fronts. So we'll dive into those. And then from there, transition to a lightning round where we'll talk about the Samsung Fold, Amazon Music and YouTube Music, as well as some other news related to uh, Google in Europe. But first, let's talk about a, a week of reconciliation. Ross, this week we had Amazon and Google announcing that they were kind of becoming friends again, if you will, frenemies as they are. Uh, Amazon will start to support Chromecast and YouTube is coming to Amazon's Fire TV. Some of your initial thoughts on this? So I would say that uh, Amazon is probably the, the bigger winner in this uh, reconciliation. YouTube, of course, has been a cudgel that Google has used to help uh, help enforce their preferences with, with partners. If, uh, if you're not implementing things the to their liking they won't let you have access to youtube which is of course a huge source of uh, a video uh, for many different kinds of devices i think that the kinds of devices that they're talking about at this point aren't necessarily the most strategic ones to either company so Fire TV, in fact, that whole kind of set-top category seems to be taking a bit of a backseat as more of those companies launch their own video services and want to broadly target different uh, platforms. We, we saw that with Apple offering Apple TV Plus on uh, Fire TV and Roku and uh, Sony uh, TVs, which which run on the Google TV platform. And I think that's the other thing that's happening, frankly, is that, you know, over the course of years and years, we're seeing more smart TVs entering the market that offer baseline support for popular video services such as Netflix and YouTube and Prime Video. And so those are really becoming a more important platform because why would you even bother to purchase one of these set-top boxes? if all the video services you need are included in your new television. So of course that took some time uh, to happen in the marketplace, but, but that's the reality now. Now in return, uh, Amazon has agreed to support Chromecast and that seems like kind of a, a minor win. I think there's still this vision that somehow the smartphone becomes the portal and the smartphone becomes the remote control in some of these environments. And so if you're serving up the content from your smartphone and you want to then move it to a big screen, mm. things like Chromecast support could be important for Amazon. So if I'm not going to the television as the original source, and, and I think there's still this vision that that could become the case or maybe the case in certain use case scenarios where I pull the video up or I'm already watching it on my smartphone and then I decide I want to move it to a bigger screen, maybe to share with other people who enter the room or who are in the room. And so that connectivity becomes uh, important for, for users and ultimately for these companies. So you would argue that Amazon actually benefits from supporting Chromecast more than, than Google? I don't know if I would say they, they 
are the bigger winner. I mean, clearly YouTube wins here and Google wins here by getting the YouTube app back on the Amazon Fire TV device and and Fire TV editions of smart televisions. So I think they they clearly win there, um, though there is no support for the official YouTube app on the Echo Show. So they they didn't get everything they probably wanted. But I do think Amazon wins by having support for for Chromecast if that type of use case scenario does develop where people are watching it first on their mobile phone and then pushing it to a bigger screen. And I see that type of sharing potentially being an attractive to a teenage market or a, you know, K through 12 market where kids are watching it on their phone and then they want to share that experience with others. And so they push it to, uh, to the screen and in an environment where you've got, several kids in a room, they all have their own mobile phones, they're all watching their own videos, and then they want to share different clips or different pieces. Right now, a lot of that is done by handing over the phone. But if it was really seamless to move that to a larger screen, we could see that become the dominant experience that we have in living rooms. Well, I would say it continues uh, moves by Amazon uh, to reconcile with the two big smartphone OS providers. Uh, a while back, we talked about how they did the deal with Apple, and uh, now they support uh, Prime Video on on Apple TV, and uh, they support AirPlay 2, so presumably you'll be able to use it with uh, these televisions that uh, Apple has done the deal with to support uh, AirPlay 2. So uh, something else we talked about, uh, I think it was last week with, uh, with Netflix and, and some of the growing pains there. Prime Video, definitely one of the more popular uh, video services. I think they've uh, done some clever positioning in, in tying it to Prime, uh, given the coming subscription fatigue <laughs> that, uh, that seems to be looming. Uh, and so, you know, they want to provide a, a good experience to their users, regardless of, of whether they're consuming it on uh, Apple or, or Android devices. Oh, and so in other news related to this week of reconciliation, we saw Apple and Qualcomm settle their dispute. And uh, Qualcomm clearly the big winner here is stock is up uh, nearly 40% just this week on, on that announcement. It opens the, the market up for uh, Qualcomm's 5G modems to show up on Apple phones, Apple iPhones, and probably means that the uh, 5G iPhone is back on for next year. And at the same time this week, we saw Intel announcing that they were pulling out of the 5G smartphone modem market. So you have a, a couple of things happening all at the same time. Uh, Ross, your take on some of those moves from this week. So, wow, you know, it was a classic example of <laughs> seeing something happen and then watching the other shoe drop. Uh, right. And the question became, you know, what was the cause and what was the effect here? Was it that uh, Apple and Qualcomm were able to put aside their differences and Intel then threw up its hands? Or did Intel come to some epiphany about its uh, position in the smartphone modem market? And then Apple and Qualcomm, uh, you know, Apple then realized that Qualcomm was essentially the only game uh, left in town. So I uh, tend to believe uh, 
that the latter scenario is more credible, uh, particularly with relatively new management, uh, top top management installed at Intel. It seen, and and that the company has historically had a lot of uh, performance challenges with its modems. I think that the decision was made to withdraw from the smartphone modem market. And that uh, as a result of that, Apple realized it it had to uh, reconcile with with Qualcomm. I mean, they were in the middle of opening arguments when this happened. So it just seems to me rather unlikely that they were unable to come to a reconciliation until the first day of of the trial. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of opening arguments, there was some kind of breakthrough, particularly given some of the coverage that we saw prior to the start of the trial about how there was CEO animus and you know Apple versus Qualcomm. This time it's personal. Uh, so uh, so that, that seems to me to be the most logical course of events. And, and yet I would argue that, sure, I would agree that Qualcomm was by far the, the biggest winner. That's, that's reflected in, in the market valuation. But I would also say that Apple ultimately is, is a winner as well because uh, it will have access to the, the best-in-class uh, 5G modems and, and most likely be able to launch 5G iPhones sooner uh, than it otherwise would would be able to. My guess is that Intel conveyed to Apple that they were not going to be able to to meet some of the uh, product timelines for uh, a launch in 2020. So at the same time, Apple begins to negotiate with Qualcomm this, uh, a longer term deal. And, and to your point, it's instructive that they announced a six year licensing agreement as part of that royalty settlement. So it wasn't just that they settled the royalty disagreement, but that they also then entered into a, a long term deal. And Apple's price was up on the on the uh, the news as well. So mm-hmm. both companies seem to benefit, and the market seems to see this as a win for everybody across the board. It, it's also, I think, worth noting that Intel isn't completely out of modems. It, it said that it was going to continue to uh, supply modems for PCs, which of course is its uh, strongest market, and uh, IoT devices and. And both of those may have relevance to Apple, although I would be inclined to say that the IoT angle is is actually probably the stronger one for Intel and Apple because uh, simply because of the widespread rumors that Apple will be switching to its own ARM chips in in the coming years in terms of the uh, the Mac. So there there's probably less uh, you know less synergy there uh, with with Intel than there would be, say, today. It seems like Apple is also interested at some point in being able to produce their own you know, 5G mm. modem chips or 6G modem chips after that, that they'll eventually want to try to take over that piece of the of the value chain mm-hmm. and bring that in-house. If they're in more to more products, then that might make sense. I- Intel, as part of their announcement, just said it was apparent that there was no clear path to profitability and, and positive returns. And, and, and perhaps that's the same dynamic Apple is finding themselves. And so it, it made sense, at least for now, to enter a long-term agreement with Qualcomm and to settle some of the dispute. I, I think it's something of a different proposition than it is for the main SOC, the main processing and uh, GPU chips uh, in, in the phones. Uh, so Apple, of course, uh, started producing its own ARM chips uh, years ago, the A-series. And it seemed that within a 
relatively short time. I, I think it was maybe three years uh, at the outset. You know, they they were they had switched uh, their phones from Qualcomm uh, chips to uh, Apple A series chips. But for modems, it's it's a lot tougher. Uh, and, and in fact, that's what the lawsuit was really about. It was about the intellectual property licensing. So whereas uh, I guess there's a, a lot of flexibility in the silicon uh, to, um, uh, to, to innovate, to customize, because everyone is licensing the same customizable platform from ARM uh, with the modems, it's, it's quite a bit different, you know, and, and there are just a few very influential uh, IP holders and Qualcomm is, you know, probably at the, at the top of that list. So that's why they have been able to charge a, a premium uh, for the licensing. Uh, and that's why it was so difficult for Apple to find alternatives. Whereas, you know, if say they hadn't decided to build their own chips, they could have gone to, you know, Samsung or or some other ARM uh, chip developer uh, if uh, if they really wanted an alternative to Qualcomm and they decided not to get into the chip business themselves. Though, uh, though obviously negotiations with Samsung would, would prove difficult as well. Uh, Samsung and Huawei both making processors for their own devices. So uh, Sure, but, but and I don't think Samsung does a lot of licensing, if any, at this point. Uh, right. I know at one point I had seen their... Uh, their stuff and other devices, but uh, uh, but uh, but they have to deal, uh, you know, not Huawei, but but they have to deal with Samsung anyway on the um, for uh, uh, for displays and and probably some other components as well. Yeah, good. So now let's rotate to our lightning round. First up is the Samsung Fold, which uh, <laughs> review review models. That's right. Review yeah. models are, are out. And we've had at least three uh, announcements and, and reports that the Samsung Fold has been breaking upon use and been and uh, ultimately Samsung had to replace some of those models out there. Uh, what's your take on this, Ross? Is it just kind of the, the quick um, entry into the market, still very new technology, and so we should expect it to uh, to, to have some models that break, even though it is priced at uh, $2,000? Uh, well, you know, I'd say that it's it's probably good for Samsung that some of these vulnerabilities have uh, surfaced as the reviewers have had access to the devices before it has become a large-scale public rollout. But, but yes, I, I think it shows some of the challenges of the design uh, that plastic is is going to have some inherent weakness versus glass uh i've read read a few interesting articles about that that um we, we could talk about a bit later uh and that um uh and that a folding mechanism uh is going to be inherently more vulnerable than the monoblock design that we've had for a decade uh that doesn't have any moving parts or or creases so i i think the true test is going to be will we see these these kinds of weaknesses in in other folding designs or you know is it is it just something endemic to uh samsung's implementation uh, so my take is that we'll see it in other places that we're still very new in this category it's obviously very nascent 
um, application. While we've thought about foldable phones for a very long time and rollable phones, and we've been seeing them at places like CS for many years, uh, or at least alluding to the possibility of them for many years, uh, that we will likely um, see these type of dynamics in this area of displays for the next couple of years. And then as price points come down, that's also consistent with better economies to scale. And and as you get those economies to scale, then you're also generally getting better yields, better uh, quality. And, and this is something we saw in other display areas. You can think of when we were doing very big LCDs at first, you had issues with, with pixels and other things like that, um, that that were indicative of large screens. And then over time, the economies of scale kick in, quality improves, and, and the price point goes down as it moves into the mass market. So I think the same thing will, will play out here. Well, uh, this, I'm, I'm, I'm sure the folks at Corning are, uh, not, are, are pretty happy to see these reports. So <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the second story of our lightning round, Amazon Music launching an ad-supported tier for Alexa-enabled devices. So this will allow users, at least in the U.S. for now, to listen to Amazon's top playlists and stations for free. And at the same time this week, we also heard that Google Home and other assistant-powered speakers will get a free ad-supported version of YouTube Music with some limited functionality in the U.S. and and uh, about 16 countries, so 15 other countries. Um, and so your quick take on this, Ross? I mean, I think it complements uh, the story that we talked about earlier in terms of the reconciliation that these guys are still uh, aggressive competitors, particularly in this space. And it speaks to music being a primary uh, application for these uh, products, you know, calling out, hey, Alexa, or, hey Google Home, you know, play me, uh, play me some, uh, play me a playlist. So, so it is a. Uh, I mean, the YouTube uh, announcement is probably a more significant one in terms of catalog, uh, and and it just shows the the leapfrogging because prior to this, Amazon was making Prime Music uh, available on on Alexa, so that was on demand, but a more limited selection. So. Uh, I, I think it helps the proposition of, of these speakers and others based on the platforms to have more music available. Uh, and uh, also, I think, puts more pressure on Spotify uh, to uh, to step up their marketing efforts on, on these devices. It definitely puts more pressure on Spotify. And I think, as we've talked in many episodes in the past, that's one of the things I think that's driving Spotify into these adjacent markets like podcasts and, and other places where they can differentiate themselves. And if they're able to grow their own body of original content, maybe it's podcasts, maybe it's other things. So uh, there is a lot of pressure on Spotify to, to differentiate themselves in this place. Mm -hmm. To your point, I, I agree completely that uh, this is becoming a dominant and important use case scenario for smart speakers. I also think that over time, we're going to move into an environment where you'll be able to customize which service is called for without having to call for it by name on these platforms. So if I say play music, I could specify where I want that music pulled from without having to say, 
Alexa asks Spotify this or Amazon, uh, you know, or, or Google Home do do X, Y, and Z and, and pull your music from here. I think you'll be able to to customize that with respect to music, weather, and, and other services. And so uh, there's a little bit of a, a land grab right now where Amazon, Google, and others want to become the default music service in in these platforms and then ultimately to move customers to a subscription model where they get full access to to the entire catalog sure and that's a that's a great segue to uh our next lightning round issue around uh, choice yeah our our final lightning round is google now offering <coughs> browser and search app choices in android uh in europe as which was part of a um, requirement from Europe and, and carried along with a penalty. Now, while they're currently um, appealing the penalty, they've gone ahead and uh, agreed to, to implement this. And they put out a blog post this week, which we can drop in our show notes that talk about the um, what that implementation will look like. Ross, can you even name five browsers and five search options? <laughs> well, uh, browser is probably easier than than search options, uh, but you know it, it's not just about uh, brand. You know, it's not just about whether I recognize DuckDuckGo as a uh, as, as a search engine or Bing uh, as a search engine. Uh, it's about um, the the quality of of those choices as well. Uh, probably less of an issue also with the browsers because. You know they've uh, consolidated around a few core uh, browser engines. Uh, probably good news for for Microsoft and and uh, in terms of both Bing and the uh, the new version of Edge that's being built on uh, on the Chromium engine. But uh, but it's it's also uh, you know something of um, of of a, of a uh, karma, I guess, uh, because ten years ago. Uh, Microsoft was the one being admonished by the EU uh, for browser choice in uh, Windows uh, when it claimed that Internet Explorer was an integral part uh, of the Windows experience and the EU said no. And they had to do something very similar. They had to offer a choice of browser. Uh, they had to offer, and, and other things as well, a, a default uh, music uh, and video player as well. And those uh, preferences are, are still uh, in Windows, although uh, you know their their role has changed uh, quite a bit from uh, where they were. But but at least in in one European version of Windows, in the European version of Windows, you were forced to make a choice. You know there there was no default, and it seems that's uh, the direction that that Google is heading there. And uh, it'll be interesting to see with the increased regulatory scrutiny whether they are forced to make a choice here. I think it gets even more interesting if you think about Apple because, you know, I don't, I don't know if there are. I, I think f if, the, if there were five alternatives for Apple, uh, they would all be using the Safari rendering engine per Apple's requirements. And, and it would uh, have a huge impact on the, you know, billion dollar deal that, uh, that Google has with Apple for search. Yeah, I think that uh, the implementation I see Google putting forward and, and what they put forward 
as previews in their blog post, suggests that the Google search and, and Google Chrome come installed and then you have the option to install other browsers and, mm -hmm. and other uh, search choices. And I think that um, consumers are becoming I, I so- think, I think it prompts you when you download a new browser, whether you want to make that one the default. Uh, and I think that we become so accustomed to, or we're becoming increasingly accustomed to not installing other things and to not opting into some of these um, these choices. I know personally, uh, you know, I'm, I turn off all my notifications when I download new apps to, to experiment with and, and uh, limit their access significantly. And so um, I'm not sure that this will make a big difference in, in what users choose to do, giving them, giving them the option. I think they'll stick with uh, what they've been using. Yeah, we're, we're 10 years in, I mean, and, you know, Chrome has, huge presence and great market share and mind share. So I, I think it's going to be tough uh, for, for this to make much of an impact. And one of the things that I see is that we like the apps that are integrated and provide a seamless experience. And so that gives some home field advantage to Google on Android and to Apple on, on iOS, mm -hmm. that we want things that are integrated seamlessly. and um, and I think that's going to be an important area for these companies to focus on in the years ahead. Good. So now let's close out our show with some uh, exciting news that uh, Ross has been working on um, a homepage for Techspansive. So I will let Ross jump in and talk a little bit about what uh, what we've been doing there. Yeah, uh, in place of our uh, startup spotlight that we've been doing for the past two weeks, I guess uh, we're the startup uh, this week in, That's in right. a sense. Yeah. Uh, so uh, for some time, we have uh, uh, had access to the techspansive.com uh, website. We, we, uh, we had a link there, just a, sort of an under construction thing. And now, thanks to the uh, uh, wonderful efforts of uh, uh, genuineclass.com, which is the... Uh, website development company that uh, my uh, my wife runs, uh, we uh, we now have a, a fully featured website and archive of, uh, of the Techspansive uh, podcast. Uh, you can go back to the first one from uh, last year and, and play them all to your heart's content. Uh, and uh, we will be using the platform for things like transcriptions uh, of the podcast to make uh, things more searchable, uh, as well as show notes, which uh, uh, Sean uh, alluded to a, a bit earlier, and uh, an article that I had mentioned earlier uh, about some of the challenges with um, uh, plastic-based folding screens as opposed to uh, foldable glass and, and some um, deficiencies there. So that becomes the kind of thing that, that we can post on the new website. So uh, we're, we're really excited about it. And in addition to uh, getting access to, to the podcast at, uh, at any number of uh, services, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, etc., many of which are linked to from the website, that can be, uh, th this can be a new, uh, a new home uh, for the podcast. And we're, we're looking forward to uh, putting up a lot more content there. Great. Well, thanks for that an announcement, 
uh, Ross and, and that news. So definitely check it out. And um, as always, thank you for joining us for another episode of Techspansive. Go in and share it with your friends and family. Make sure to leave us a, a five-star review wherever you access this podcast and let us know what you think. If you've got ideas you'd like us to pursue, we uh, would definitely like to hear that. You can find me on Twitter at Sean Dubervac. And you can find me on Twitter at Ross Rubin. And we look forward to joining you next week for another episode of Techspansive.